What's going on with y'all? You listen to Yusuf and Bakar with Uperience Podcast, where we bring a global perspective to you. What's going on, What's y'all? Uh, hey, we man. here. Hey, guys. And I'm, I'm excited about this episode today. We got uh, someone out here to talk about our travel experience in Japan. Yusuf, you do the honors. How did you meet this guy? Yeah, man. Who we got on the episode today? Yeah, his name is Bodhi. He lives in Vancouver. What's up, y'all? Yeah, man, it's my homie. And he's originally from Ethiopia. First, a little background on how we first met. We actually met my first day of my Southeast Asia trip in Thailand. We were a group of tourists from all over, standing around, <laughs> looking for the interest of a free, like, Muay Thai boxing match that we heard about. And mind you, <laughs> none of us none of us met each other before. And it turns out the Muay Thai match uh, got relocated across town. So I called us a rideshare van that they call Grab. And so we went off to experience that. And it was great. I had a great time. I ended up switching shirts with this Thai guy in the audience. <laughs> I wanted his jersey with a picture of the defending champ on it, and he wanted my collar shirt. Muti, yeah. <laughs> Everybody was chanting. The amount of energy in that stadium was crazy. Like, I didn't know who this guy was, but I was all for my chosen fighter. He was Muti, Muti. I'd never seen a Muti fight in my life, and it was incredible. It just blew my mind. So anyway, we all had an amazing time at the boxing ring. We got into more shenanigans all over the city for the rest of the week. It was a blast. It was vibes. Before you start, I just want to know, what's the difference between Grab and Uber? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Grab, they, they have mopeds that can pick you up, as well as cars and vans and different vehicles like that. While Uber is more kind of Western countries have it. I think some countries in Asia have it. A lot of a lot of countries are, and Uber is more kind of higher end. Or it's more expensive. Grab is extremely cheap and it's very affordable. When we were in the Grab, the Grab driver oh, actually yeah. <laughs> tried to basically scam us to go watch a fight that you had to pay for, and mm-hmm. we had to like hassle this woman for so long just to yeah. get us to this fight, man. Thankfully, <laughs> take us to the address. It. Damn, <laughs> like, it's in your app. Just look at your yeah. phone. Like, just go there. He wanted to take us to the other side of the city, dog. Thank God we made it, bro. That was one of the best memories of my, of my Honestly, uh, entire man, trip, man. And watching it, it that started fight. off so strong. That was my first day. Like, I had just got out the airport <laughs> within hours. I was on a ready in adventure, like, on the, on the other side of the world for the first time. It was, it was fantastic, man. But yeah, man, Japan, it's a roughly the size of California. It's got 126 million folks. And yeah, we'll just get, hop right into it. What stood out to you the most about Japan when you was there? Oh, man. This is just how futuristic it is, man. Japan is like, 10 years ahead of everybody else. Things that happen in Japan are not going to happen in America or in Canada for the next 10 years, man. Just the way they travel, the way they eat, the way they go about things, fashion, everything is just so far beyond us, man. It's kind of crazy. And that was one of the most interesting things that I that I found about the country. What part of Japan were you in, actually? I went everywhere, man. So I started out in Tokyo and then just headed down south, basically. I went to... Uh, Yokohama. Then I was in Nagoya for a little bit, meeting some friends that I actually met here, but they were Japanese. So they showed me a pretty dope time there. And then I was in Kyoto, the uh, old capital of Japan. Then I went to Osaka. Then uh, Kobe had some fire Kobe beef there. And then Oklahoma, 
And then I took a train over to um, Shipoku Island, which is the smaller of the four main islands, and uh, stayed in Tokomatsu for a little bit. So yeah, I went pretty far. And then I came back up to uh, Osaka, and that's where I, I left the country from. I was there for about a month and a half. When you said Kobe, I thought about Kobe Bryant for a second. Yeah, yeah, the interesting thing is that's actually the place that Kobe was named after is that town. Yeah, Kobe Bryant is named that. after that town. It's spelled the same too. Out of all those places, one day, which one would you Oh, pick? man. <laughs> one day, wow. That's crazy, man. Definitely Tokyo, dude. Yeah, Tokyo is ginormous, first of all. It's huge. Like, you know, one of the biggest metropolitan areas in the world, and you can see it. Yeah, I would definitely just sort of see as many things as I possibly can in Tokyo. I uh, was supposed to be in Tokyo only for one week. By the time that I was up with the week, I was like, man, I've only seen like three quarters of the city. So I extended my stay in Tokyo for another two and a half weeks. And even then, I still didn't see all the city, man. But yeah, Tokyo is basically just going to a country in itself, just seeing how big and how vibrant and lively it is. There's just so much stuff to do, so many things happening. It's it's a crazy, awesome time. Damn. And you stayed in Asakusa? Yeah. Tell us about that. Asakusa. There. Asakusa. I butchered that. Asakusa. Yeah, okay. Man. Yeah, bro. Asakusa is dope. It's basically where the all the temples are at. Also now, because of the fact that it has all the temples and all the shrines and a lot more sort of old Tokyo, it's also where all the travelers go, where all the hostels are located, where all these travel agencies are located. So I stayed there, stayed in a really dope uh, hostel there in one of the, the capsule hotels. You stayed at a capsule hotel? Yeah, man. What was that like? Was it claustrophobic? <laughs> Honestly... It was actually really spacious. It, it was small, obviously. It's a capsule hotel. It's basically a box that you lie in. But they put a bunch of stuff in there to make it seem like a big room. They got outlets in there. You've got your own light. You've got some curtains. It's like you got everything in there. A little cupboard that you can set up to sort of eat lunch in the little capsule. Like it's very small space, but they try to make it be as big as, you know, as big as uh, humanly possible so it was it's a comfortable, lot more comfortable. You said? yeah yeah it's a lot more comfortable than people would think i i enjoyed my stays at the capsule hotels and would you say in hostels and lodgings in japan would a hostel be good or an airbnb which one would you go for <laughs> to be honest with you with me especially i would stay in the hostels because japanese hostels are not like uh, hostels anywhere else you know what i mean hostels have this like sort of vibe of being cheap and the bare minimum of travel but in japan yeah. because they care so much about quality and they care so much about how you feel and they care so much about like looking good and presentation and honor and all that stuff they put the whole shebang in those things everything is tip top you get everything in that room man it's as comfortable as like any hotel room that you're going to stay in in the west it, it's oh, wow. fantastic would you how yes. much would you say they would be like in terms of price. It depends, man. The one that I stayed at while I was there was uh, around $42 a night Canadian. But that was because it was the higher one. You can find some for like 20 bucks a night. And even then, wow. they're still really comfortable. That's yeah, true. There wouldn't be a reason for you to, to sort of get a hotel room. I think if you wanted to get an Airbnb, if you were going with your family, if you had kids or something and you wanted to go to Tokyo... I think then it would be worth it because then you could sort of stay together and, you know, have sort of a, a more family atmosphere. If you're just traveling by yourself, like where it's just sort of you and your backpack, there's no reason to get an Airbnb or anything. Like yeah. Just stick yourself in one of those uh, 
capsule hostels. It'd be, it'd be golden, man. <laughs> Have a great so, time. And man. you went to the Tokyo Sky Tree. Oh yeah, man. What I is went that all actually? The way to the top. So the Tokyo Sky Tree, basically, because Tokyo is so big, they have the Tokyo Tower, which is a radio tower. Because Tokyo is so ginormous, they needed a second TV tower. So they built the Tokyo Tree, which is bigger than the Tokyo Tower. So you stayed in Asuska, right? Did you also yeah. go to Tokyo Sky Tree while you're there? Because I know it's in that area, I was told. Yeah, man. The Tokyo Sky Tree is super dope. So because Tokyo is so big and just like a ginormous metropolitan area, Basically, they have the Tokyo Tower, and the Tokyo Tower is a radio tower right in the middle of the city. Because Tokyo is so big, they needed a second TV tower to basically handle all the traffic within the city. So they built the Tokyo Sky Tree, which is even bigger than the Tokyo Tower. So it was really interesting to go see that. Went up all the way to the top, and you can see all the way to Mount Fuji. When you can see all the way to the ocean, it's a it's a great view. Highly recommend it. Cool, man. And it's lit up at night. It's got like yeah, different yeah. neon lights and whatnot. Yeah, it's got sort of this uh, snaking light formation that goes around it. Yeah, so that that was pretty cool. I'm looking at pictures of it right now. And it looks like that, what, what tower is that? It's in, what am I thinking of? Drogstown, Toronto. It looks like the Toronto uh, <laughs> oh, tower. Like the six, the, I can't believe you called Toronto Drakestown. <laughs> It is. <laughs> you you Americans only know Drake. Eh? He's the only Canadian y'all know. Hey, y'all got Justin Bieber in the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the weekend yeah. There you go. Two weekends from the same city, dog. Oh, I guess the weekend at Drake show. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's very similar to the to the CN Tower, actually. Did you get the chance? I heard that you can ride go karts down the street down the highway did you get a chance to go karts? I, I saw people doing that yeah you can uh there's this place where you can go rent uh go-karts and you can basically dress up as mario kart characters and then you can they take you around a circuit in the city i saw people doing it but unfortunately i didn't do it i was like super busy doing a bunch of other stuff yeah so it just like slipped my mind man and i remember seeing it like on the final day that i was there and i was like man that's something that i should have done Again, Tokyo is so big and there's so much stuff to do. You forget to do things that you came there to do. So I was reading that the entire population of California is just slightly above just the Tokyo metro population. So the Tokyo metro is 37 million and Cali is 39 million. Yeah, man. Tokyo is huge, dude. When you think about it, for example, the entire population of Canada is also 37 million so you can fit the entire population of canada into tokyo it's ginormous that place man there's so much stuff there's just everything and everywhere everybody's everywhere it's 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 pretty awesome the entire population of california and just the la county like that's crazy that's how congested it is did you feel like it was congested while you're out there not at all man because tokyo i think they understand how big it is, right? They understand how many people live there. So they try to create as many green spaces as possible. So there's parks everywhere. There's just ginormous forested parks everywhere that you can go into. And once you go in there, they have these giant trees that sort of like stop the noise from from the city. And like you, you can barely see any of the skyscrapers. So you feel like you're in the middle of the forest, but you're still... In, in downtown Tokyo, essentially. Yeah. So I think that's something that they do really well, just to sort of make it seem more quiet, is just having so many nice gardens and parks and just recreation areas that you can visit. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah they really thought it out. And you said there was they a did. few cities combined into one that made up Tokyo metro population, right? Yeah. So before Tokyo that we know today as Tokyo, there was a bunch of smaller cities, right? And these cities today are the cities that you hear about inside Tokyo. Like, you know, when people say, you know, the Shibuya crossing, that used to be its own city, right? Where that Shibuya crossing is, is located now. The city of Shinjuku used to be its own city. If you go today into Tokyo, there's this giant loop line called the Yokohama loop line, which is basically a train line that goes in, in a circle. It's, I think, one of the most busiest train lines on the entire face of the planet. And it just goes in a circle. And all the stops used to be essentially their own little cities, right? Their own little areas of Tokyo before it got combined into one giant metropolitan area. So on the Yokohama line, there's actually a stop titled Tokyo. And that's where the emperor lives. And that was historic Tokyo. But because Tokyo has grew so much... It sort of has engulfed all these other areas that used to be their own little cities. How's the transportation system over there? Oh, man. <laughs> transportation system is absolutely phenomenal, man. Japan has the best transportation system in the world. You can get everywhere basically on a bus pass. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I was riding the, the bullet train, the, Shin, the Shinkansen, like everywhere. I rode it everywhere. It was, it was fantastic. So how fast is this bullet train? The bullet train goes about uh, 370 kilometers an hour. I don't know what that is in miles. You guys are American. You use miles. So what, Whoa, what is that? Just Google that. <laughs> Whoa, that's a, okay. I can't tell you either. You know, it's, it's an education system. I got to check on Google. Baby. Imperial system. Hey, it's about 229 miles per hour. Yeah. Damn, that's dumb fast. The first time I went on the bullet train, I legitimately thought I was going to throw up. That's how fast it goes. Because if you look outside, things are just speeding past you. Like You've never been at anything that fast before. It just messes with your mind the first time you're on it. So you really can travel the whole Japan, the whole country. Basically, you can go from Tokyo to uh, Osaka in two and a half hours. That's regularly a five and a half hour drive. So to drive from Tokyo to Osaka would take you oh, five wow. and a half hours. And you can skin that down to two, 200 and, you know, basically two hours and, and 30 minutes. And you're there. You're in the city of, of Osaka. Now, would you Fantastic. recommend getting like a train pass or something like that? That's yeah. an interesting question, man. It depends on what kind of traveler you are, I think. Like with me personally, like you know me, Yusuf, when I travel, like I'm sort of like a boring traveler. I just like to sort of stay in one area for an extended period of time and just absorb the culture and absorb the, the you know, the vibes of the area. So I think if you travel like that, it might not be worth it for you to get a rail pass because it's super expensive, right? I think for a two-week rail pass, it's like 700 bucks. Nah. So oh. if you were going, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more expensive. So if you say you wanted to pack as many places into that two weeks as you possibly can, it's completely worth it. So you can go from Tokyo to Hokkaido in the north, right? If you want to make that trip, that's usually a trip that might you earn like two, $300. If you want to do that, and if you want to go down to the south and say, and visit Nagasaki and Osaka, or even further down, you want to visit Okohama, or you want to go to Fukuyaka, the birthplace of ramen, Damn. that would be worth it. But I think if you were a slow traveler and you, and you want to take your time and you want to take a leisure pace, it, it might not be worth it because also in japan right because of the fact that their system of transportation is so good 
there's a lot of local trains that you can take from certain areas, right? Like there's a local train that you can take from Tokyo to Yokohama. You don't have to take the bullet train from, say, Kyoto to Kobe because there's a regular train that you can and take. And the bus system's pretty well connected, right? And it's, it's a lot cheaper than the train. Oh, yeah, for sure. They, they have night buses, a lot more comfortable, I hear, than the night buses in, in Vietnam. That, that's another story for another day. But yeah, that, they, I heard they're super comfortable. Yeah. Now to transition, let's talk about the food, man. Oh, man. Let's talk part. about the food. <laughs> yeah, I heard you talk about ramen. Did you get to try any of the ramen while you was out there? Oh, yeah, man. I tried. I tried all sorts of ramen. The interesting thing about ramen is... Uh, that I found out while I was there is, is not just the same thing, right? Depending on, on where you are in the country or which region, uh, the broth that they use is, is made completely different. So there is uh, miso ramen, which has um, a miso soup base. There's a uh, soy sauce ramen, which has a soy sauce base. And then there's pork ramen, which has pork base, chicken ramen, just all these different broths sort of made in an old fashioned way from like generations on end. And yeah, it's, it's so I was trying all manner of different kinds of, uh, of ramen. And they all tasted like different depending on the broth that was used. It's pretty fantastic. I heard some of these broths have been marinating and that secret of the recipe has been passed down for generations. Is that true? Oh, yeah, man, for sure. Because in Japan, a lot of like the Japanese care a lot about craftsmanship. You know what I mean? Like craftsmanship of, of whatever it is that they're making. So these sort of recipes a lot of times are, are guarded are like absolutely guarded, you know, with their lives and they keep it in the family. Some people marinate that soup for like weeks, you know, some even years. And it sort of gives you this really strong, super rich taste. Yeah, I had a couple of those. You're making me hungry, man. (laughs) So what was your favorite? That was your favorite type of food? Uh, Oh, man, bro. Japan is such an underrated food place. Yeah, well, I was talking to one of my Japanese friends while I was there. I met her in uh, Oklahoma, and uh, she was talking about how basically in Japan, depending on the place that you're in, different regions are known for different specialties of a particular kind of dish. So you can go to Nagoya and have a different kind of traditional dish from Nagoya, or you can go down south, right, depending on where you are. My favorite thing that I ate there for sure was definitely the Kobe beef, man. Kobe beef is something different. Was it super expensive over there like it is here? Oh, yeah, bro. It is very expensive. I had uh, two sashimis, $120. Now, what is a sashimi? Because you just sound like you're just cursing at me. So I just break that down. A sashimi. You have to to break that down, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, a sashimi is basically a very thin slice of the meat. Like when you go to a sushi restaurant and they put that thin slice on top of the sushi roll, a sashimi is sort of similar to that, but minus the, the rice at the bottom. It's just the meat. So they just give you the meat and some soy sauce, and uh, that's how you eat it. I was going to say, I'm sure the food was so good, you had to tip your service, right? They don't tip in Japan, bro. Oh, no tips, what? nothing. What? You, never, you never tip in Japan, dog. Like, you never tip in Japan. It's actually considered rude to tip in Japan. They'll run after so you, you like when you leave the they'll, restaurant. They'll like, here's actual, your money. <laughs> That's that impressive. was a very tough experience for me, man, because with me, I'm so used to tipping, right? Because here in Canada, tipping is, is a big thing. And like Same the thing America. is too, mm-hmm. yeah, man. And I, I thought they deserved it. You know what I mean? Because the food would be so good and the service would be amazing. I remember my friend took me to um to this Japanese uh, sushi master while I was in Nagoya. The sushi master has been making sushi for 35 years. 
He's a Michelin star certified That's sushi long, master. Man. I've been alive. Right? Yeah. Wow. Wow. My friend try that place. It's amazing. My friend that I met there, right? She she was born. The sushi master that we went to see was friends with her grandfather. <laughs> and her what? grandfather is is dead now. He's been making sushi for so long, man. And I remember going there and oh my goodness, I can't have sushi in uh, Vancouver anymore. I don't think I can ever have sushi anywhere else ever again. Because <laughs> like, it was nah. just, oh my God, man. Like that's, that was something different. It was such an amazing experience. And I think here we have sushi sort of in rolls. There's no rolls over there. They don't make sushis in rolls. You basically point at the fish that you want. So when you go to these more high-end fancy sushi restaurants, you go in and you basically point at the fish that you want and he'll turn it into sushi in your face, like right in front of you. He will turn the fish that you choose into sushi and serve it to you. I'd one, love to see that process from start to one, finish. It's such an artistic thing to to like to watch, to watch the way he prepares the fish and like the cuts that he makes. It's just like, you can tell it's a skill that you have to practice for years and years and years. It's not just about cutting the meat, right? The way you cut it, it has to be very, very precise. And it was just absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, man, sushi in Japan is... is it's, it's an experience. It's a once in a lifetime experience that I think everybody. When we were in Thailand, um, we went and got some Japanese curry at that mall. Do you remember that? Tell yeah, us about yeah. Japanese curry, man. Japanese curry is very different, man, because you, you usually have like Indian curry or like Thai curry, and like Thai curry, right? That we had, you know, in Thailand is made a lot with with coconut milk. They don't use coconut milk um, in Japan. It's a lot of basically the curry powder and different milk alternatives and, and different things. But yeah, so it's a lot thicker. It's sort of like, I don't know if like you ever stew, had maybe. A, yeah. If you ever had butter chicken, for example, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. the curry tastes a lot like, like a, like a butter chicken almost. It's just, it's that sort of dense, you know, would you say they use less spice? Probably. Cause when I was there, I always had to ask for an extra spice every single time I had it. Cause I like my curry spicy. So I always had to ask for it a little bit more spicier. But yeah, so I think they use a, a less spice, but like not less curry powder, if uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that sounds amazing. In Japan. Like, if you can bring one snack back from Japan, what snack would that be? Because <laughs> the snack game in Japan, I heard <laughs> oh, stupid. Like... Yo, oh boy. Snack game in Japan, different, dog. These are rice balls called unigiri. So basically unigiri is sticky rice. And inside the sticky rice, they put stuff in it. You know, sometimes there's seaweed, sometimes there's salmon, sometimes, you know, trout, different things. They stick it in there. And usually the Japanese eat it for breakfast and then they wrap it around with seaweed. The seaweed comes in its own individual package. So it doesn't, it's not sticky, you know, like the Japanese think about everything, dog. Like the seaweed that you wrap around the sticky rice doesn't come pre-wrapped around the sticky rice. It comes in its own package. So the seaweed doesn't get less crunchy or less. Yeah. Ah, so the seaweed doesn't wow. get soggy, bro. They think of everything, oh bro. <laughs> I was reading that everything in Japan, wherever you buy, like everything is pre-packaged. Even the little, like if you get a bag of candy, within the bag of candy Every individual candy is in its own packaging. And that's yeah. across the board. <laughs> Everywhere you go, like there's not a single bag where you just find like gumdrops just loosely just hanging around, you know? 
They're the all individual raps. The funniest thing that I saw that was like that was uh, the apples. And I remember before I got to uh, to Japan, right? I was searching up some stuff while I was in New Zealand. And before I got to Japan, I saw that. I saw that story about how like they wrap stuff, all their individual stuff in Japan. Yeah. And I didn't believe it. And then I got there and I went into a grocery store and you literally saw all the apples individually wrapped in their own wrappers. Whoa. <laughs> it's an apple. Why is it wrapped <laughs> in its own individual wrapper? I guess the germs or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think it's honestly a lot of the culture because Japanese culture, everything is about convenience, right? Convenience and how quick can you do things because they're working cultures like that. Yeah, it's about efficiency. Mm. Yeah. So everything is geared I'm glad they have a good recycling program uh, with all that like extra plastic waste and and things that are wrapped up and that's all going in the trash. Bro. And here it would go all in the trash, but over there it's recycled. Like it's amazing. They have a great program. You know what's really interesting about Japan they don't have garbage bins on the side of the road. You know how you like in so the where West. Do you go trash, where do you go trash your stuff? You got to carry that shit home. Dog. Nah. <laughs> There's no trash cans. My pockets are full. On the street. <laughs> you got to carry it home, dog. I remember reminds me buying of Singapore. a banana. Yes, it's exactly like Singapore, bro. I remember buying a banana and I ate the banana while I was walking, bro. Bro, I was walking with that banana peel for damn near 30 minutes. Because <laughs> I couldn't find, I couldn't find a, a banana peel <laughs> looking for a trash can. That would be. <laughs> I didn't want to put it in my pocket or something, right? Because I didn't want to be all mushy. So I was just walking around with a banana peel the whole time. Go like, to 7 Eleven and be like, hey, can I use a trash can? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like in a residential area, man. It was no 7 Eleven or nothing. Just Sidebar. walking around with this. Sidebar, 7-Elevens are actually all owned by Japan. I had no idea until I got to Asia. I was like, what? Yeah. I didn't know that was an American company. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that either. It was started by an American oh, okay. in Houston, Houston, Texas, actually. And then it got okay. bought out by a Japanese guy and basically turned it into what we know today. Took over. Took over yeah. Asia, man. That makes sense. On the topic of food, though, another thing that I want to mention that I think Y'all should try, if you ever go to Japan, is the eel in Nagoya. You have to go to Nagoya because that's the only place they make the eel like that. Like I said, different parts of Japan makes different dishes. So in Japan, in Nagoya, they have this eel dish where it's the rice. They have a, a cup of rice and they make this fermented tea that's been fermented for like years. And I had the eel at this restaurant that is 100 and 80 years old. The restaurant's been in the same place for 180 years, serving the same dish. They had this pond filled with uh, with koi fish. Those koi fish were older than the restaurant. <laughs> what? Koi can live <laughs> the, that long? Koi fish can live like apparently 200 years or something. Galapagos fish, turtles. Sheesh. Dog, they really are, man. You know that like, food is good if it's been in circulation <laughs> for that long. Like, it's and- been crazy. Yeah, so what they do with the eel is you have this uh, this soup and they grill the eel and you have this tea. They have this fermented tea. And so basically, they give you a cup of soup made with the bones of the eel. And in the soup, they use the intestines of the eel. So they have like the intestines of the eel in the soup. And then they have grilled eel on the side. And so what you do is you take the tea and you take the grilled eel and you put it on the rice and you pour the tea on top of it. 
and you eat the the eel with That's the rice wild. and the tea. It's one of the most fascinating things I've ever done in my life. I've never ate food with tea. Like it's just it's like green tea, and you yeah. would drink it, but they pour that tea on the rice, and you eat it with the rice, and it just like is out of this world, man. It's fantastic. Is that good? Oh, it's it's amazing. It's man, amazing. Gotta try that. It's 180 years down. old. It's got to be good. Better be <laughs> right. good. That long. That right. many what, generations. Is that part of the tea ceremony? Um, no, the tea ceremony is different. That was just something that they did in Nagoya, in that particular okay. prefecture. So speaking of tea, did you check out a tea ceremony while you're out there? Like try green tea, matcha tea? Yeah, I tried both, actually. So when I was um, in Kyoto, I tried matcha because that's Kyoto is the is basically the ancestral home of matcha. That's where it was discovered. That's where it was made, was Kyoto. So you can try all different matcha. In Kyoto, that's the freshest matcha in the entire world. You can basically try matcha that was made like yesterday. Oh, wow. And yeah, so it's absolutely phenomenal, the matcha over there. But when I went to um, Shikoku Island, that's where I had like a traditional Japanese tea ceremony. I was in this town called Takamatsu, and I went to this ancient garden, which used to belong to one of the, the shogunates, the shogunates that ran Shikoku. That was his, uh, his garden. The garden was called Ritsurin, I believe. And basically in the garden, you can go into this little house. And in the house, you can order two different kinds of teas. And then they'll do like the traditional tea ceremony for you. So yeah, you go and you sit down on this bamboo mat. And uh, when you sit down on the bamboo mat, you you sit cross-legged. And this lady comes and she makes the tea in front of you. And she's dressed in uh, traditional uh, Japanese kimono. Dress and yeah, so she comes and she's like kneeling and it's very like ceremonial. Japanese people are very ceremonial and she like first she bows and she kneels and then she gets up and she does like this interesting thing with her hand. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that in movies where because the the women's kimono is so long, she'll lift her arm and then she'll like sweep kimono arm with her other arm and then she'll put it on the side. It was just like a completely a very like spiritual event i felt like i was like royalty or something that's how like fancy it was man i was like damn i'm in here sitting in a a t-shirt and flip-flops and this woman is like basically (laughs) treating me like i'm i'm like a king bro and i was like oh boy i don't know i don't know about this there was these two japanese girls and they were sitting there they were sitting right beside me and they're watching me i think they sensed that i was like feeling very unqualified for this ceremony. They were looking at me and they're like, you know, doing that like weird Japanese, oh, you know, we don't we don't we don't want to say that we're looking at you, but we're looking at you. People are like very shy. So they were doing that, man. Funny story about that though. After the tea ceremony and I'm sitting there and I'm drinking tea, it is the most peaceful moment of my entire trip. I got the waterfall in the background. I'm looking at the lake. There's koi fish in the pond, Vibes. you know, just swimming. Vibes, bro. All of a sudden, this big, ginormous herd of Chinese tourists. Just a herd? Absolutely... <laughs> a herd. There's like a 40 of them. There's like 40 of them. And there's this leader. And he's like screaming into a megaphone, telling people what stuff are and he's just yelling into the megaphone and this is like a garden and, <laughs> and i look at the girls next to me and they just like couldn't 
all they could do is just stand there and laugh. And I was just like, what is going on here? I thought we were in like a very like peaceful <laughs> garden. All of a sudden, there's a stampede of Chinese They told tourists. me this just... place is supposed to be serene, but we got this guy on a megaphone saying, as you see on your left, there's a bonsai tree. And to your right, there's, there's people half asleep drinking tea. <laughs> but it's okay. Basically... <laughs> What a moment. That was a very interesting moment. That reminds me of when I go on hikes and people got their giant portable speakers blasting music. <laughs> and I'm like, we're supposed to be in nature. What are you doing? Like, Enjoying the moment. You're, you're, yeah. Not only that, you're ruining other people's moments. I want to hear the birds. Yeah. Not two chains. <laughs> <laughs> hey, y'all. We decided to cut this episode into two parts. Check us out next Sunday for part two, where Bodhi reveals some pro tips on Japanese culture and traditions and robots. Thanks for listening to The Appearance, a podcast for people that want to explore the world and make traveling part of their lifestyle. Peace. Stay blessed, y'all.